What's up, you son of a bitches? You fucks. Welcome to F dash 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 or star 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 whatever it is. NG Anatomy. For those of you who don't know, that spells Gray's fucking anatomy. Um, oh, before we get started, we got a quick word from our sponsor here. Actually sent me a letter, and it's also crazy that we have sponsors because this is our first episode. Um, but anyway, I'm going to read the sponsor because sponsor's a sponsor, right? Here, let's go. Sent me a letter. Um, looks like it's from Dale. No return address. Dear Jake, this is Dale from Arkansas. I sell porcupine traps. And not just any porcupine traps, but the best porcupine traps west of the Mississippi River. Thank you, Dale. Wow. Wow, 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 Dale. You really did it this time. Dale, if you are listening, you need some help, buddy. You really need to send me a website. I mean, I, I believe you that you have the best porcupine traps, but please send me a website, man. I'll shout out your website. I'll get you your business, but just send me a letter with no return address, no other information except your best porcupine traps, porcupine, whatever. You just, you, you need to do better, guy. Get a new marketing team or something. But anyways, uh, let's get into it. I'm Jacob Damien, and... This book that's in front of me right now, for those of you who are listening, it's I'm holding it right now. Um, it's over 1,400 pages long. Uh, the title is Grey's Anatomy, but I added Grey's fucking anatomy to put emphasis on how large this book is and how difficult it's going to be to read it. But uh, my plan is to read it and to do it and to learn some shit about the human anatomy or anatomy or however the hell you say it. Um, yeah, so let's get into it. Um, I just hope you all enjoy the ride because I can't wait to learn about anatomy. Oh, one quick thing, just a little about, a little bit about me. Um, I'm currently going into my junior year of college. Um, I am not looking to go to med school. I'm actually in between majors, which means I'm just really confused. So I was thinking maybe if I read an entire book on anatomy, and it looks very thorough, that I might be able to learn a few things, and maybe it'll shift my, you know, interest, but other than that, let's do it. Um, Okay, so, anatomy, descriptive and surgical by Henry Gray, FRS, I don't know what that means, Sorry if I slurp my coffee, too. I mean, I know it's probably gross, but I just love slurping it. I don't know why, but I just do. Um, Yeah, so this book is by Henry Gray, fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, lecturer on anatomy at St. George's Hospital Medical School. It's edited by T. Pickering Pick, FRCS. I mean, I hope that name, that's a cool name, dude. Um, he's a consulting surgeon to St. George's Hospital and to the Victoria Hospital for Children, HM Inspector of Anatomy in England and Wales. And lastly, also edited by Robert Howden. Howden? He has an MA, an MB, and a CM. He's, prof- he's a professor of anatomy in the University of uh, Durham, examiner in anatomy, in anatomy in the universities of Durham and Edinburgh, and to the Board of Education, South Kensington. Well, these are some smart motherfuckers because they wrote an entire book. On the human body. Um, 
So let's get into it. I mean, I could read you the contents, but alone the contents are 30 fucking pages, and it's amazing how much information is in this book. And again, sorry, before I start, I'm not, I've never taken a Latin class. I've never taken a single medical class. I'm simply reading this book, so if I pronounce anything or I butcher any words, please let me know. Email me. My email's in the YouTube. I'm, I'm always looking for feedback. But, uh, yeah, the contents are huge. Go to, to 30, to 24 page content. Um, but the first part is descriptive and surgical anatomy, osteology, the skeleton. Jesus Christ. Hold on, before I even read it, see how big this chapter is? This might take me hours. Bloody hours. Oh my god, yeah, this, this chapter is massive. The skeleton, I didn't know, I mean, I know the skeleton is crazy, but... Oh my god. We might have to break the first chapter up into the two episodes, but... Or not, I'm gonna, I, I can just get this done, but... Yeah, wow, it's huge. It's still going. Yeah, it's over 100 pages long. Wow. It's okay. Let's get some MCT oil. If anyone, if you don't know who this is, if you don't know what this is, it's a triglyceride extract from a coconut oil, and it gives you superpowers. It's fucking amazing. At least that's what they say. So, But, yeah, let's go with your coffee. Just don't take it too much. You'll shit your guts out. It's a really good laxative, too. That's what I found. It's good in your coffee. I'm going to slurp again, so you can turn it down. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start. Um, the entire skeleton in the adult consists of 200 distinct bones. These are the spine or vertebral column, sacrum, and coccyx included. Is it coccyx or is it coccyx? The cranium, the face, the, hybo- the hy- hyoid bone, sternum, and ribs, upper extremities, and lower extremities. So, the spine and the vertebrae consist of 26 bones, the cranium has 8, the face has 14, the the hyoid bone, sternum, and ribs have 26, the upper extremities have 64, and the lower extremities have 62. So, in total, that's 200 bones. That's a lot of bones. A lot of fucking bones. You can break a lot of bones. And I've never broken a bone. I have so many bones, I've never broken one. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. Whatever. It's MCT. Superpowers. Mm. Sorry for the slurp. Okay. In this enumeration, the patellae are included as separate bones. Whatever. But the smaller sesamoid bones and the acicular auditus are not reckoned. The teeth belong to the tugamentary system. These bones are divisible into four classes. Long, short, flat, and irregular. The long bones are found in the limbs, where they form a system of levers which have to sustain the weight of the trunk and to confer the power of locomotion. A long bone consists of a shaft and two extremities. The shaft is a hollow cylinder, contracted and narrowed to avoid greater space for the bellies of the muscles. The walls consist of dense, compact tissue of great thickness in the middle, but becoming thinner toward the extremities. The spongy tissue is scanty, and the bone is hollowed out in the interior to form the medullary canal. Medullary canal? I'm sorry. The extremities are generally somewhat expanded for greater convenience of mutual connection for the purposes of articulation and to afford a broad surface for muscular attachment. So as you can see that 
this book is definitely like worded for med students and people who have been studying for a long time so an average Joe like me is definitely going to get most of them wrong and on another note those of you who are listening you cannot see my setup but I do have a Trump cutout uh, to the left of me and that is for satirical purposes only I do not support Trump actually I'm not really going to go into my political views I'm really unbiased it really doesn't matter but just know satirical purposes only I'm going to slurp again Okay, so we got a quick overview of the classes of bones. Where was I? Okay, after the medullary canal. Medullary, medullary, blah, 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 blah. The extremities are generally somewhat expanded for greater convenience of mutual connection. For the purposes of articulation and to afford a broad surface for muscular attachment, here the bone is made up of spongy tissue with only a thin coating of compact substance. The long bones are not straight, but curved, the curve generally taking place in two directions, thus affording greater strength to the bone. The, bone, the bones belonging to this class are the clavicle, humerus, radius, ulna, femur, tibia, fibula, metacarpal, and metatarsal bones, and the phalanges. Um, the short bones where a part of the skeleton is intended for strength and compactness, and its motion is at the same tight, slight, same time slight and limited. It is divided into a number of small pieces united together by ligaments. The separate bones are short and compressed, such as the bones of the carpus and tarsus. These bones, in their structure, are spongy throughout, excepting at their surface, where there is a thin crust of compact substance. The batellae, also together with other sesamoid, a little bit of oil on my lips. Okay. The sesamoid bones are by some regarded as short bones. Okay. That little part was about short bones. Now we're going into flat bones. Where the principal requirement is either extensive protection or the provision of broad surfaces for muscular attachment, flat bones. We find the osseous structure expanded into broad flat plates as is seen in the bones of the skull and the shoulder blade. These bones are composed of two thin layers of compact tissue enclosing between them a, ver a variable quantity of cancellous tissue. In the cranial bones, these layers of compact tissue are famili familiarly known as the tables of the skull. The outer one is thick and tough, the inner one thinner, obviously, denser and more brittle, and hence termed the vitreous table. The intervening cancellous tissue is called the diplo. Diploi? I don't know, there's a... Uh, Two little dots above the E, and I'm not an English major, so I, I don't know what that means either. The flat bones are the occipital, parietal, frontal, nasal, lacrimal, vomer, scapular, os imitatum, inimitatum, I don't know, sternum, ribs, and patella. So I'm assuming most of the flat bones are in the skull. We're still talking about the skull? The irregular, or mixed bones, or such as, from their peculiar form, cannot be grouped under either of the preceding heads. Their structure is similar to that of other bones, consisting of a layer of compact tissue externally and of spongy cancellous tissue within. The irregular bones are the vertebrae, sacrum, coccyx or coccyx, temporal, sphenoid, ethmoid, malar, superior maxillary, inferior maxillary, palate, inferior turbinated, and hyoid. So that was just six paragraphs 
in this very large book. There's oil on my lips. I'm so sorry for the oil on my lips. If that's weird at all. But, uh... Okay, so... So far we've covered... The long bones, the short bones, the flat bones. The irregular or mixed bones. And it's only been... Seven paragraphs. So... We definitely have quite a bit to go. But it's okay, I'm in for the long haul. I'm in for the long haul, folks. The long haul, folks. I know I'm making really gross coffee sounds. And I promise you that's only going to be like for one episode and I'm going to have to get a straw or something. Okay, now to surfaces of bones. If the surface of any bone is examined, certain eminences and depressions are seen to which descriptive anatomists anatomists have given the following names. These eminences, these eminences and depressions of two are of two kinds, articular and non-articular. Well-marked examples of articular eminences are found in the heads of the humerus and femur and of articular depressions in the glenoid cavity of the scapula and the acetabellum and the acetabellum. Pretty sure it's acetabellum. Non-articular eminences are designated according to their form. Thus, a broad, rough, non-even elevation is called a tuberosity, a small, rough prominence, a tubercle, a sharp, slender, pointed eminence, a spine, a narrow, rough elevation running from some way along the surface, a ridge or line. The non-articular depressions are also a very, uh, are also a very variable form and are described as fossae, grooves, furrows, fissures, notches, etc. These non-articular eminences and depressions serve to increase the extent of surface for the attachment of ligaments and muscles, and are usually well marked in proportion to the muscularity of the subject. A prominent process projecting from the surface of a bone, which it has never been separate from or movable upon, is termed as apophysis, from a language that I cannot pronounce or read, an exercescence, or an ex excrescence i'm sorry folks i'm sorry again but if such process is developed is developed as a separate piece from the rest of the bone to which it is afterward afterward joined it is termed an epiphysis the main part of the bone or shaft which is formed from the primary center of ossification is termed a diaphysis and is separated during growth from the the epiphysis by a layer of cartilage at which growth growth in length of the bone takes place at which growth and length of the bone takes place. So this was all about the surface of the different bones. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm not uh, really explaining these thoroughly, but I have to say again that I'm not a medical student and I have very limited knowledge on anatomy, but... That's why I'm in it with you folks. We're in this together, and we're going to try to learn as much as we can, right? I'm going to try to keep these episodes around, you know, under three hours. Um, because the content may be a little dry. So, but let's keep going. Let's keep on. Now we're moving on to the spine. The spine is a flexus, flexuous and flexible column formed of a series of bones called vertebrae. Ooh. The vertebrae are 33 in number, and have received the names cervical, dorsal, lumbar, sacral, and coccygeal, according to the position which they occupy, seven being found in the cervical region, 12 in the dorsal, 5 in the lumbar, 5 in the sacral, and 4 in the co- 
Kakseju, Kakikso, I don't know. Thing I do know, I do know something about the vertebrae positions, and the best way to memorize them is by morning, noon, night. So in the morning, 7 a.m. In the afternoon, 12 p.m. And at night, 5 p.m. Seven vertebrae up top, 12 in the middle, and five in the lower. But in this, they also said they'll. I, I really don't know what to do about the four in the coxal region. But yeah, so seven cervical, 12 lumbar, five uh, lumbar. My bad. Yeah. So morning, noon, night, whatever. I, I just knew that, so I had to throw that in there. But but there's four in the coccygeal region, which is, you know, the coccyx. So I guess you could say 4 a.m. or something, but who cares, you know? This number is sometimes increased by an additional vertebrae in one region, or the number may, diminished, may, be, but may be diminished in one region, the deficiency being supplied by an additional vertebrae in another. These observations do not apply to the cervical portion of the spine. The number of bones forming, which is seldom increased or diminished. The vertebrae in the upper three regions of the spine are separate throughout the whole of life. But those found in the sacral and coccygeal regions are in the adult fir firmly united, are in the, f are in the adult firmly united, so as to form two bones, five entering into the formation of the upper bone or sacrum, and four into the terminal bone of the spine or coccyx. General characters of a vertebra. Each vertebrae consists of two essential parts, and in, I said vertebrae, consists of two essential parts, an interior solid segment or body, and a posterior segment or arch. The arch, neural, is formed of two ped pedicles and two laminae, supporting seven processes, viz. four articular, two transverse, and one spinous. The bodies of the vertebrae are piled one upon the other. Sorry, I need my oil. My oil, forming a strong pillar for the support of the cranium and trunk. The arch is forming a hollow cylinder behind the bodies for the protection of the spinal cord. The different vertebrae are connected together by the means of the articular processes and the interver intervertebral fibrocartilages, while the transverse and spinous processes serve as, le as levers for the attachment of muscles which move the different parts of the spine. Lastly, between each pair of vertebrae, apertures exist through which the spinal nerves pass from the cord. Each of these constituent parts must now be separately examined. So now we're going to break down each part of the actual vertebrae itself. Um, so most likely the spinal cord and which holes and whatever it goes through, I'm, I'm assuming, and the different parts of the bone that kind of branch out from each vertebrae because each one is differently shaped, I'm assuming. I don't know. But uh, we're going to start off with the body or the centrum of the vertebrae. And the body or the centrum is the largest part of a vertebrae. Um, above and below, it is flattened. Its upper and lower surfaces are rough for the attachment of the invertebral fibrocartilages and present a rim around their circumference. In front, it is convex from side to side, concave from above downward. Behind it is flat from above downward and slightly concave from side to side. Its interior surface is perforated by a few small apertures for the passage of nutrient vessels, whilst on the posterior surface is a single large irregular aperture, or occasionally more than one. For the exit of veins from the body of the vertebrae, the venae basis vertebrae. Nutrient, um, nutri what, did, what did that say? Nutrient vessels, as in, what, what could those be? I, I don't know. I mean, I was just assuming veins, or is that a nutrient vessel, a vein? 
or an artery. I don't know. But that's what's passing through uh, these holes in the vertebrae. Sorry, guys, I slurp. I don't know why. I picked that up a while ago. The next part, so we just covered body or centrum of the vertebrae. Now we're moving on to the pedicles. The pedicles are two short, thick pieces of bone which project backward, one on each side, from the upper part of the body of the vertebrae at the line of junction of its posterior and lateral surfaces. The concavities above and below the pedicles are the, are the invertebral notches. They're, they are four in number, two on each side. The inferior ones begin generally the deeper. When the vertebrae are articulated, the notches of each conti contiguous pair of bones form the intervertebral foramina, foramina, which communicate with the spinal canal and transmit the spinal nerves and blood vessels. That's a pedicle, folks. The fucking, uh, just the wording gets me. They really need to make a, a book, anatomy for, I mean, I know there's anatomy for dumb, dummies, but I'm not a, I'm a dumbass. I'm not a dummy, I'm just a dumbass. I can't even say most of this shit. If it was just in layman terms, it'd be so much easier, but like, you know, I'm in this together. Again, we're in this together. Let's, let's do this, all right? I hope you I hope you folks don't mind me stumbling on every single word. But let's let's do it. Come on. Uh, the laminae now are two broad plates of bone which complete the neural arch by fusing together in the middle of line in the middle line behind. They enclose a foramen, the spinal foramen, which serves for the protection of the spinal cord. They are connected to the body by means of the pedicles. Their upper and lower lower borders are rough for the attachment of the ligamenta sublava. The spinous processes projects backward. Spinal process, I'm sorry. The spinous process projects backward from the junction of the two laminae and serves for the attachment of muscles and ligaments. The articular processes, four in number, two on each side, spring from the junction of the pedicles with the laminae. The two superior project upward, their articular surfaces being directed more or less backward. The two inferior project project downward, their articular surfaces looking more or less forward. The transverse processes. Still talking about uh, vertebrae here, if you didn't realize that. The transverse processes, two in number, project one at each side from the point where the, the lamina joins the pedicle. Between the superior and inferior articular processes, they also serve for the attachment of muscles and ligaments. <sighs> okay, that was the first part of the first chapter. Um, now we're moving on to character of the cervical vertebrae. Good thing, folks. We're on page 35. And the last page is... Hold on. 1,214. So we got a while to go. Of course I'm not going to do this in only one episode. I'm thinking 50 episodes maybe. I'm trying to get this done in three months. It's May? No, it's June. No, I don't. It's May. It's May 29th. So I'm thinking by August. Let's do this by August. I do an episode a day. That'd be amazing. That'd be fucking amazing. Wouldn't it? Maybe I'll be a doctor by then. You think if I read this book, I can be a doctor? 
I have a car. I have some tools. Let's see. Um, let's move on to character of the cervical vertebrae. The cervical vertebrae are smaller than those in any other region of the spine and may readily be distinguished by the foramen in the transverse process, which does not exist in the transverse process of either the dorsal or lumbar vertebrae. The body is small, comparatively dense, and broader from side to side than from before backward. The anterior and posterior surfaces are flattened and of equal depth. Their former is placed on a lower level than the latter, and its inferior border is prolonged downward, so as to overlap the upper and forepart of the vertebrae, vertebrae below. Its upper surface is concave transversely, and presents a, uh, it presents a projecting lip on each side. Its lower surface is convex from side to side, concave from before backward, and presents laterally a shallow concavity which receives the corresponding projecting lip of the adjacent vertebrae. The pedicles are directed outward and backward, and are attached to the body midway between the upper and lower borders, so that the superior intervertebral notch is as deep as the inferior, but it is, at the same time, narrower. The laminae are narrow. Hold on. The laminae are narrow, comma, long, thinner, above than below, and overlap each other, enclosing the spinal foramen, which is very large and of a triangular form. The spinous process is short and bifid. And bifid? What the fuck does bifid mean? And bifid at the extremity to afford greater extent of surface for the attachment of muscles. The two divisions being often of unequal size. Mm-mm-mm. Ah, I did not slurp there. They increase in length from fourth to the seventh. The articular processes are flat, oblique, and of the and of an oval form. The superior are directed backward and upward, the inferior forward and downward. The transverse processes are short, directed downward, outward, and forward, bifid, bifid at their extremity, and marked by a groove along their upper surface, which, which runs downward and outward from the superior intervertebral notch, and serves for the transmission of one of the cervical nerves. They are situated in front of the articular processes and on the outer sides of the pedicles. The transverse processes are pierced at their base by a foramen for the transmission of the vertebral artery, vein, and plexus of the nerves. Oh, it's oily as fuck. That was my burp for those who are listening. Um, now here's an illustration. It looks like it's the body of a cervical vertebrae and in the middle... Uh, we're looking at this one right here. Um, you can just study that real quick. You can see the foramen, the transverse process, the pedicles, the laminae. Isn't that nice? Isn't that beautiful? It's fucking beautiful. It's inside of you. You know that. That, that little piece right there is inside of you. And if you didn't have it, you'd probably die. But I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I just read the book. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, honestly. I mean, pretty sweet, you know? Anyway, um, so we just talked about the what goes through this transverse processes. So each process is formed by two roots, 
The anterior route, sometimes called the costal process, arises from the side of the body and is the homologue of the rib in the dorsal region of the spine. The posterior root springs from the junction of the pedicle with the laminae and corresponds with the transverse process and the dorsal region. Uh, I just lost some space. I was trying to figure out if I'm recording, make sure I'm recording, because that would suck if I'm, I'm not, you know? I am. Um, it corresponds with the transverse process in the dorsal region. It is by the junction of the two that the foramen for the vertebral vessels is formed. The extremity of each of these groups forms the anterior and posterior tubercles of the transverse processes. The peculiar vertebrae in the cervical region are the first, or atlas, the second, or axis, and the seventh, or vertebrae prominence. The great modifications in the form of the atlas and axis are designed to admit of the nodding and rotary movements of the head. Up, down, side, side, that's all because of my axis and atlas. Ooh, it's cracked, too, wow. But, uh, yeah, sorry, I keep getting distracted. I got, a. Uh, I started, I drunkenly bought Tinder the other day, so, uh, I've had a hell of matches, you know? It's awesome, but, uh, it's distracting. It drains my battery. Um, but yeah, back to the axis and atlas. <coughs> the peculiar vertebrae in the cervical region are the first, or atlas. So, first is atlas, then comes the axis. The second, or axis, and the seventh, or vertebrae, prominence. The great modification... I just read that. I just read that. I'm so sorry. The atlas is so named from supporting the globe of the head. And the globe. We're talking about globe here. The earth is not... The earth is round. I mean, the head is round. It's not flat. The globe. That's a whole other story, and I'll talk about that later. Okay. But the atlas is is so named from supporting the globe of the head. The chief peculiarities of this bone are that it has neither body nor spinous process. The body is detached from the rest of the bone and forms the endontoid process of the second vertebrae, while the parts corresponding to the pedicles join in front to form the anterior arch. The atlas is ring-like and consists of an anterior arch, a posterior arch, and two lateral masses. The anterior arch forms about one-fifth of the ring, its anterior surface is convex and presents about it, its center a tubercle. For the attachment of the longest coli muscle, posteriorly it is concave and marked by a smooth oval or circular facet for articulation with the endontoid process of the axis. The upper and lower borders give attachment to the anterior occipital atlantal and the anterior atlantoaxial ligaments, which connect it with the occipital atlantal and the, which connect it with the occipital bone above and the axis below. The posterior arch forms about two-fifths of the circumference of the bone. It terminates behind an tubercle, which is the rudiment of a spinous process, and gives origin to the rectus capitis posticus minor. Again, I did not take any Latin, so that was probably butchered. The diminutive, 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 I can't even speak English. The diminutive, diminutive, diminutive size of this process prevents any interference in the movements between the atlas and the cranium. The posterior part of the arch presents above and behind a rounded edge for the attachment of the posterior occipital atlantal ligament, while in front, immediately behind each superior articular process, 
is a groove sometime, sometimes converted into a foramen by a delicate bony spiculum which arches backward from the posterior extremity of the superior articular processes. These grooves represent the superior intervertebral notches and are peculiar from being situated behind the articular processes. Instead of, instead of in front of them, as in the other vertebrae, they serve for the transmission of the vertebral artery, which, ascending through the foramen in the transverse process, winds through the lateral mass in a direction backward and inward. They also transmit the suboccipital, for spinal, nerve. On the, on the undersurface of the posterior arch, in the same situation, are two other grooves placed behind the lateral masses, representing the inferior invertebral notches of other vertebrae. They are much, much less marked than the superior. The lower border also gives attachment to the posterior atlanoaxial ligament, which connects it with the axis. The lateral masses are the most bulky and so solid parts of the atlas. In order to support the weight of the head, they present two articulating processes above and two below. The two superior are of large size, oval, concave, and approach each other in front, but diverge behind. They are directed upward, inward, and a little backward, each forming a kind of cup for the corresponding condyle of the occipital bone are admirably adapted to the nodding movements of the head. Okay, so as you can see in this illustration, for those of you who are watching, you can have this one right here, you can see the two cups. So, which I've learned are those uh, the parts where the occipital, which is back of your, the bone, which is laying in the back of your head, which connects to this vertebrae. I don't know how it's shaped, but they sit in these cups. So that's crazy that just two little cups are basically supporting this big ass thing. It's amazing, right? I just it's I just find it amazing how our body has to think of every little thing, you know, to make you function. Every little thing. Sorry folks, I don't have too many I don't my good insight. Cause I'm not a doctor. You know? I just I just drink coffee. I drink MCT oil and it makes me feel like a doctor, you know? Oh, Jesus Christ, nothing's worse than cold black coffee. I force myself to drink black coffee because I'm getting prepared for prison. I'm kidding, I'm not going to prison yet. Not infrequently, infrequently, they are partially subdivided by a more or less deep indentation which encroaches upon each lateral margin. The inferior articular processes are circular in form, flattened or slightly concave, and directed downward and inward, articulating with the axis, and permitting the rotary movements. Just below the inner margin of each superior articular surface is a small tubercle. For the attachment of the transverse ligament, which, stretching across the ring of the atlas, divides it into two unequal parts, the anterior or smaller segment receiving the endontoid process of the axis, the posterior allowing the transmission of the spinal cord and its membranes. This part of the spinal cord is of considerable size. To afford space for the spinal cord, and hence lateral displacement, of the atlas may occur without compression of this structure. The transverse processes are of large size, project directly outward and downward from the lateral masses, and serve for the attachment of special muscles which assist in rotating the head. They are long, not bifid, bifid. I really got to research that word, and perforated at their base by a canal for the vertebral artery, which is directed from below 
upward and backward. Okay. Um, one thing, I'm going to research. What the hell does bifid mean? Sorry, sometimes I just got to do this. Because I keep, it keeps popping up and I've never heard it. Bifid, of a part of a plant or animal divided by a deep cleft or notch into two parts. Okay, so bifid is they're long, not bifid, and perforated at their base by a canal. Okay, so it's just a division of a part, usually by a notch. It's bifid. Okay, so I can see bi, two, fid. I don't know what that means, but okay, makes sense. I had to look that up, you know. I, I mean, I should really look up all these words, but I don't have time for that. But bifid got to me. I never heard of that. The axis is so named from forming the pivot upon which the first vertebrae carrying the head rotates. The most distinctive character of this bone is the strong prominent process, tooth-like in form, hence the name odontoid. Yeah, that does definitely sound very dental. I think we do have odontoids. What is the, uh, what is the dental pro uh, formula? Two incisors, two one five, I don't know. No. There was a formula I knew for some reason, and uh, I totally forgot it, but I, I know we have an endontal bone or something, or a tooth, I don't know, tooth maybe, I don't know, whatever. Tooth-like in form, hence the name endontoid, which rises perpendicularly from the upper surface of the body. The body is deeper in front, for, is deeper in front than behind, and prolonged downward anteriorly, anteriorly as to overlap the upper and fore part of the next vertebrae. It presents in front a median longitudinal ridge separating two lateral, lateral depressions for the attachment of the longest coli muscle of either side. Okay, so we're looking at the in inferior uh, articular process, which, look at it, it's definitely a weird-ass shaped, this one right here, it's definitely a weird-ass shaped vertebrae, and it does look like a tooth. I mean, like this part right here, the endotomy process, look at that. It's very tooth-like. So... I just want to know who creates, you know, this shit when, you know, all these doctors, you know, hundreds of years ago are, you know, like cutting open, uh, what are they, what are, what are the bodies called, uh, whatever, and just like going in there and doing, and looking at all these bones and just thinking, this is called the endontoid bone, like just naming it, the endontoid process. Like, I, maybe I just don't have the knowledge yet, but I just don't even think I could even create a name for a bone. You know, I don't know how they do it. I, I really would like to just sit down with, with a doctor. I mean, this, I mean, all right, I'm rambling, but it's interesting shit, you know? Interesting shit. Don't listen to my rambles, all right? Don't listen to them. Saw the illustration, though. We're looking at the endontory process. It's very tooth-like. It has a lot of weird processes coming in and out of it you know for those who are listening i'm sorry i'm trying to describe it but the the, the normal vertebrae is more you know circular and uh, uh symmetric and they're wider you know it's a support but when you look at this endontoid process it's very it's l-shaped and it's thin and has weird growths coming out from you know from each side but it may be weird but it, it keeps us alive you know it has a very special purpose um, it presents in front a median longitudinal ridge separating two lateral depressions for the attachment of the longest coli muscles of either side. 
The endontoid process presents two articulating surfaces, one in front of an oval form for articulation with the atlas, another behind for the transverse ligament, the latter frequently encroaching on the side of the process. The apex is pointed and gives attachment to the middle fasciolus of the endontoid or check ligaments, ligamentum suspensorium. I'm actually taking a Latin class next semester, so I'm going to get this shit down. Below the apex, the process is somewhat enlarged and presents on either side a rough impression for the attachment of the lateral fisciculi of the endontoid or check ligaments, which connect it to the occipital bone. The base of the process, where it is attached to the body, is constricted so as to prevent displacement from the transverse ligament, which binds it in this situation to the, to the anterior arch of the atlas. Sometimes, however, this process does become displaced, especially in children, in whom the ligaments are more relaxed. Instant death is the result of this accident. Wow. Children, watch out for your heads if you're listening. Keep your head straight, dude. You, you, you fucking die. The internal structure of the endontoid process is much more compact than that of the body. The pedicles are broad and strong, especially their anterior extremities, which coalesce with the sides of the body and the root of the endontoid process. The laminae are thick and strong, and the spinal form enlarged, but smaller than that of the atlas. The transverse processes are very small, not bifid, and perforated by the foramen for the vertebral artery, which is directed, directed obliquely upward and outward. Um, Let's look at the this illustration of the spinous process, which is different from the endontoid process, and it looks a lot more like a normal vertebrae. Oops, if you can see. Get this right. What am I doing? What am I doing right now? Why are my hands... Why am I doing this right now? Just focus on it. Okay. There we go. That's it. If you can read that. I'm sorry. This camera is flipped, so I can't really, like... Uh, like position it right like I'm just just don't, don't, don't even pay attention to that for those of you uh, for those of you who are listening I was just trying to show the, the camera the uh, spinous process picture which consists of the body the transverse and anterior processes some few roots that are coming out and oh, this, the thing about the spinous process it has this really long bone in the center whatever uh comes down kind of like the endontoid process but it's at the bottom if that makes sense anyway let's get back to the reading um the superior articular surfaces are round slightly convex directed upward and outward and are peculiar in being supported on the body pedicles and transverse processes the inferior articular surfaces have the same direction as as those of the other cervical vertebrae the superior invertebral notches are very shallow and lie behind the articular processes, the inferior in front of them, as in the other cervical vertebrae. The spinous process is of large size, very strong, deeply channeled on its undersurface, and presents a bifid tubercular, tubercular extremity for the attachment of muscles which serve to rotate the head upon the spine. Seventh cervical. We're on figure four now. Um... We just got done with the endontoid spinous process. Now we're on to the seventh, ver cer seventh cervical, which means there's seven cervical vertebrae. Okay, well, the seventh one. Okay, whatever. The most distinctive character of this vertebrae is the existence of a very long and prominent spinous process, hence the name vertebrate prominence. 
The process is thick, nearly horizontal in direction, not bifurcated, and is attached to it the lower end of the ligamentum nuche. Nuch, 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 N-U-C-H-A-E, whatever that is. The transverse process is usually of large size. Its posterior tubercles are large and prominent. Are large and prominent. I just lost my page. Um, the transverse process is usually of large size. Its posterior tubercles are large and prominent, while the anterior are small and faintly marked. Its upper surface has usually a shallow groove, and it seldom presents more than a tree of bifurcation at, it, at its extremity. The foramen in the transverse process is sometimes as large as in the other ver cervical vertebrae, but it's usually smaller on one or both sides, and in the cervical vertebrae, sometimes wanting. That didn't make sense, did it? On the left side, it, is occasionally, it occasionally gives passage to the vertebral artery. More, frequ more frequently, the vertebra vertebral vein tra traverses it on both sides. I'm so sorry, folks. I really can't speak. Um... Hope you don't mind, but at times I'm gonna I'm gonna be jumping on these words and just scrambling them up. I apologize. I really do. Um, but the usual arrangement is for both artery and vein to pass in front of the transverse process and not through the foramen. Occasionally, the anterior root of the transverse process exists as a separate bone and attains a large size. It is then known as a cervical rib. Okay. So, that was... We're getting into the dorsal vertebrae now. Characters, characters of the dorsal vertebrae. The dorsal vertebrae are, inter are intermediate in size between those in the cervical and those in the lumbar region. An increase in size from above downward, the upper vertebrae in this segment of the spine being much smaller than those in the lower part of the region. The dorsal vertebrae may, may be at once recognized by the presence on the sides of the body of one or more facets or half facets for the heads of the ribs. Okay, so here's a dorsal vertebrae. As you can see. Um, it's, uh, it kind of looks like a like a gun, like, you know, has like a handle, just imagine a gun, and it has a barrel, and it even looks has like a little space you can put a clip in it, right there, pretty cool gun looking thing, look at that, put a clip here, here's the handle, pew pew, isn't that great, um, yeah, me as a doctor, yo dude, I think your gun vertebrae is broke, dude. Yeah, just take it out, bro. Which one? The one that looks like a gun, dude. But, uh, yeah, so, for those of you who are listening, my descriptions are absolutely fucking dog shit. Like, dog shit. Like, I'm, I'm not going to do a good job of describing. I just told you the dorsal vertebrae looks like a gun. Let's let's continue. The dorsal vertebrae may be at once recognized by the presence on the sides of the body, blah, blah, blah. You read that. The bodies of the dorsal vertebrae resemble those in the cervical and lumbar regions at the perspective ends of this portion of the spine. But in the middle, of course, cervical neck. Let's remember that this is in the neck. 
But in the middle of the dorsal region, their form is very... No, wait, dorsal? No, it's still cervical, yes. Dorsal region, their form is very characteristic, being heart-shaped as in broad in the anterior-posterior, antero-posterior as in the lateral direction. They are thicker behind than in front, flat above and below, convex and prominent in front, deeply concave behind, slightly constricted in front and at the sides, and marked on each side. Near the root of the pedicle, by two demi-facets, one above, the other below, these are covered with cartilage in the recent state, and, when articulated with the adjoined vertebrae, form, with the intervening fibrocartilage, oval surfaces for the reception of the heads of the corresponding ribs. The pedicles are directed backward, and the inferior invertebral notches are of large size, and deeper than in any other region of the spine. The laminae are broad, thick, and imbricated, that is to say, overlapping one another like tiles on a roof. Tiles on a bloody roof. Look at that. See how they all fit in, like, fit in there? I mean, now I can see how it's built. I mean, it's just amazing. It's like Legos. Um, yeah, so all of these laminates, um, these dorsal vertebrae are connected. And they all have their each little intricate shape. Kind of like if you're playing Tetris, they all fit in just perfectly. Just perfectly. And when they're connected, you know, it helps you walk, right? Helps you move your bed. All your locomotion, you know? Just amazing. I can see just the littlest little thing that can happen to your spine can really fuck you up. But, uh, yeah, like tiles on a roof. They sit, you know, just perfect. The tiles overlap, right? Even though, I guess these, these this the illustration that really doesn't do it any justice. But if it's if they're uh, overlapping, these more likely they're just stacked, but they must be overlapping or something. The spinal foramen is small and of a circular form. The spinal the spinous processes are long, triangular, a transverse section, directed obliquely downward and terminate in a tubercular extremity. Tubercular extremity. They overlap one another from the 5th to the 8th, but are less oblique in direction above and below. The articular processes are flat, nearly vertical in direction, and project from the upper and lower part of the pedicles, the superior being directed backward and slightly outward and upward, the inferior forward and a little, and a little inward and downward. The transverse processes arise from the same parts of the arch as the posterior roots of the transverse processes in the neck, and are situated behind the articular processes and pedicles. They are thick, strong, and of great length, directed obliquely backward and outward, presenting a clubbed extremity, which is tipped on its interior part by a small concave surface, for articulation with the tubercle of a rib. Besides the articular facet for the, uh, for the rib, three indis indistinct tubercles may be seen rising from the transverse process, one at the upper border and one at the lower border, and one externally. In man, they are comparatively of small size. I mean... Weren't we just talking about... I mean, I'm assuming this is all human. This is all human. But they're saying, in man, they're comparatively of small size and serve only for the attachment of muscles. Maybe in other mammals, it may be a little different. Obviously. Which is one thing. A lot of people... I mean, we're very... Uh, you know, similar to monkeys. And I definitely do believe that we evolved from uh from monkeys i mean 
it's it's obvious. I mean, there's even studies done where uh, you have a lot of shoulder pain, you know, and to cure shoulder pain, uh, people, doctors, chiropractors, not chiropractors, not real doctors, physical therapists, uh, recommend you to hang vertically from uh, like monkey bars or just pull-up bars and just hang there. And it will straighten all your muscles out, especially in your shoulders, especially if you have pain, if tightness, it will stretch and totally cure you of any pain because biologically we evolved from monkeys and you know they've been just swinging in the trees that's all they do you know they've been swinging in the i mean it's in our it's in our dna we're we're, we were meant to swing from trees or we used to you know our past versions of ourselves so just hanging totally it's 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 a natural state and it'll, it'll help your body i mean everyone's like oh there's no fucking way we came from fucking monkeys dude but it's like Go, you got some shoulder pain, dude? Go hang from a bar, man. I'm telling you, you'd be cured. Totally proves it, right? Whatever. My explanation was shitty. Google it. Google, uh, Google Scholar it. Look at some studies. We came from fucking monkeys. We look like fucking monkeys. I've seen some monkey motherfuckers. Some monkey-looking motherfuckers, like myself. But, uh... Where was I at? Oh yeah, the transverse processes in the neck and are situated behind the articular processes and pedicles. They are thick, strong, and of great length, directed obliquely backward and outward, presenting a, presenting a, a clubbed extremity, which is tipped on its anterior part by a small concave surface. For articulation with the tubercle of a rib, besides the articular facet of the rib, three indistinct tubercles may be seen rising from the transverse processes, one at the upper border, one at the lower border, and one externally. Okay, we read that in man, they are comparatively of small size, blah, blah, blah. But in some animals, they attain considerable magnitude, either for the purpose of more closely connecting the segments of this portion of the spine or for muscular and ligamentous attachment. So, obviously, they're different. The peculiar dorsal vertebrae are the 1st, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. The first dorsal vertebrae presents, on each side of the body, a single entire articular facet for the head of the first rib and a, and a half facet for the upper half of the second. The body is like that of a cervical vertebrae, being broad transversely, its upper surface is concave and lift on each side. The articular surfaces are oblique, and the spine is processed thick, long, and almost horizontal. Sorry for that noise. Wasn't me. Uh, I try to keep this room soundproof, but it just doesn't work. I need a studio. I need a studio now. Uh, the ninth dorsal has no demi-facet below. In some subjects, however, the ninth has two demi-facets on each side. When this occurs, the tenth is only a demi-facet at the upper part. The tenth dorsal has, except in the case just mentioned, an entire articular facet on each side above, which is partly placed on the outer surface of the pedicle. It has no demi-facet below. In the 11th dorsal, the body approaches in its form and size to the lumbar. The articular facets for the heads of the ribs, one on each side, are of large size and placed chiefly on the pedicles. 
which are thicker and stronger in this and the next vertebrae than in any other part of the dorsal region. The spinous processes is short and nearly horizontal in direction. The transverse processes are very short, tubercular at their extremities and have no articular facets for the tubercles of the ribs. In the 11th dorsal, the body approaches in its form and size to the lumbar. The articular facets for the heads of the ribs, one on each side, are of large size and placed chiefly on the pedicles, which are thicker and stronger in this and the next vertebrae than in any other part of the dorsal region. The spinous process is short and nearly horizontal in direction. The transverse processes are very short, turbicular at their extremities, and have no articular facets for the turbicles of the ribs. Motherfucker. The 12th dorsal has the same general characters, characters as the 11th, but may, be, but, may be distinguished from its by the, but may be distinguished from it by the interior articular processes being convex and turned outward, like those of the lumbar vertebrae, by the general form of the body laminate and spinous processes approaching to that of the lumbar vertebrae, and by the transverse process being shorter and marked by three elevations, <coughs> sorry, the superior, inferior, and external turbicles which correspond to the mammillary, accessory, and transverse processes of the lumbar vertebrae. Traces of similar elevations are usually to be found upon the other dorsal vertebrae. Vid usupra must be Latin, I'm assuming, but I can't read it. Okay, so we just talked about the lumbar vertebrae, the 1st, the ninth, the 10th, 11th, and 12th, which all, again, stack up to equal that overlapping like uh, shingles on a roof. Now we're going to look at their characters, their characteristics, or characters, whatever, of the lumbar vertebrae. We're going to go into a little bit more detail. It's crazy because I thought that was a lot of detail, but this is probably going to go into even more detail. Which is okay with me. I'm along for the ride, folks. I'm along for the fucking ride. I'm out of coffee, but uh, it's fucking 150. It's 150 in the afternoon. I don't need coffee. I think I last slept till like 1030 today. Some shit like that. I mean, I usually wake up at 6.30, but uh, today was nice. It's Memorial Day. Shout out to the troops, right? I'm a patriot. I'm, I love the USA, you know? Look at this. Look, I got the, the supreme leader right here. Love the fucking USA. But, uh, no, I'm a workaholic, but I love working. So it's kind of sad when I get, you know, Mondays off. For those of you who don't know, I... I I'm not even going to go into it. Let's keep going. Characters of the lumbar vertebrae. The lumbar vertebrae are the largest segments of the vertebral column. Oh, and one more thing. This, uh, I'm currently recording the podcast on my phone, so I'm at 58 minutes right now. If it does go to an hour, if it doesn't, if it only, like, gives me a limit of an hour, I'm going to obviously upload a part two. But, uh, so if there's an instant cut off. Uh, sorry about that, folks, for those who are listening. But um, we'll see. We have 50 seconds, but let's keep reading. I will upload a part two, if that happens, but it probably won't. The lumbar vertebrae are the largest segments of the vertebral column and can at once be distinguished by the absence of the foramen and the transverse process. The characteristic point of the cervical vertebrae and by the absence of any articulating facet on the side of the body, the distinguishing mark of the dorsal vertebrae. The body is large and has a greater diameter from side to side than from before backward. Slightly thicker in front than behind, flattened or slightly concave above and below, concave behind and deeply constricted in front and at the sides.
preventing presenting prominent margins, which afford a broad basis for the support of the super incumbent super incumbent weight. The pedicles are very strong, directed backward from the upper part of the body. So hold on, let's see if it stops. Oh, kept going, sick. Sweet. Love uh love voice memos. Yes, I am an Apple advocate. I'm an Apple zombie. I've been brainwashed. I love it. I love the shit. Um Super incumbent weight. The pedicles are very strong, directed backward from the upper part of the bodies. Consequently, the inferior intervertebral intervertebral notches are of considerable 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 depth. The laminae are broad, short, and strong, and the spinal form and triangular, larger than in the dorsal, smaller than in the cervical region. Uh, the spinous processes are thick and broad, somewhat quadrilateral, horizontal in direction thicker below than above, and terminating by a rough, uneven border. The superior articular processes are concave, and look backward and inward. The inferior convex look forward and outward. The former are separated by a much wider interval than latter, embracing the lower articulating processes of the vertebrae above. The transverse processes are long, slender, directed transversely outward in the upper three lumbar vertebrae, slanting a little upward in the lower two. Okay, so let's look at a lumbar vertebrae here. Look at that. Look at how amazing. What the fuck is that? I don't, I'm don't. i not going to describe this shape because I have no idea what the hell it is. But it's a mixture of a lot of weird processes coming in and out. The body's very thick. Um, I don't know how they're viewing this image. I don't know if that's like from the side or from... I'm assuming it's from the side. So does it look like that or this over here when it's... Uh, you know, shown a different way. This is lumbar vertebrae. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Very cool, though. Very, very cool. They are situated in front of the articular processes. Instead of behind them, as in the dorsal vertebrae, and are homologous with the ribs. Homologous, homologous, same shit, right? Of the three turbicles, notice in connection with the transverse processes of the 12th dorsal vertebrae. The superior ones become connected in this region with the back part of the superior articular processes and have received the name of mammillary processes. The inferior are represented by a small process pointing downward, situated at the back part of the base of the transverse process and called the accessory processes. Accessory? Accessory? Whatever. Whatever, whatever floats your fucking boat, dude. These are the true transverse processes, which are rudimental in this region of the spine. The external ones are so-called transverse processes, the homolog, homologe, homolog of the rib, and hence sometimes called costal processes, figure eight. Although in man, these are comparatively small. In some mammals, ma animals, they attain considerable, considerable size and serve to lock the verte vertebrae more closely together. The fifth lumbar vertebrae is characterized by having the body much thicker in front than behind which accords with the prominence of the sacrovertebral articulation. By the smaller size of the spinous process, by the wide interval, interval between the inf inferior articulating processes, and by the great size and thickness of its transverse processes, which spring from the body as well as from the pedicles. Structure of the vertebrae. <clears throat> the body is composed of light, spongy, cancellous tissue, having a thin coating of compact tissue on its, on its external surface perforated by numerous orifices. 
some of large size for the passage of vessels. Its interior is transversed by one or two large canals for the reception of veins, which converge toward a single large irregular aperture or several small, several small apertures at the posterior part of the body of each bone. The arch and processes projecting from its half, on the contrary, an exceedingly thick covering of compact tissue. Development. Each vertebrae is formed of four primary centers of ossification, one for each laminae and its processes, and two for the body. Ossification commences in the laminae about the sixth week of fatal life, fetal, in the situation where the transverse processes afterward project, the the ossific granules shooting backwards toward the spine, forward into the pedicles, and outward into the transverse and articular processes. Ossification in the body commences in the middle of the cartilage about the eighth week by two closely approximated centers. Eighth week in uh, life or in the fetal, in the fetus? I'm assuming assuming in the fetus. Which speedily coalesce to form one central ossific point. Ossific, ossific, I don't know, definitely just bones. According to some authors, ossification commences in the laminae only in the upper vertebrae in the cervical and upper dorsal. The first ossific points in the lower vertebrae are those which are too from the, which are to form the, which are to form the body. The osseous centers for the laminae appearing at a subsequent period. At birth, these three pieces are perfectly separate. During the first year the laminae become united behind, the union taking place first in the lumbar region and then extending upward through the dorsal and lower cervical regions. About the third year, the body is joined to the arch on each side in such a manner that the body is formed from the three original centers of ossification. The amount contributed by these pedicles increasing in extent from below upward. Thus, the bodies of the sacral vertebrae are formed almost entirely from the central nuclei. The bodies of the lumbar are formed laterally and behind by the pedicles. In the dorsal region, the pedicles advance as far up as far forward as the articular depressions of the head of the ribs, forming these cavities of reception. And in the neck, lateral portions of the bodies are formed entirely by the advance of the pedicles. The line along which union takes place between the body and the neural arch is named the neural central suture. Before puberty, no other changes occur, excepting a gradual increase in the growth in the growth of these primary centers. The upper and under surfaces of the bodies and the ends of the transverse and spinous processes being tipped with cartilage, in which ossific ossific whatever, granules, are not yet deposited. At 16 years, three secondary centers appear, one for the tip of each transverse process and one for the extremity of the spinous process. In some of the lumbar vertebrae, especially the first, second, and third, a second ossifying center appears at the base of the spinous process. At 21 years, a thin circular episeal plate of bone is formed in layer of cartilage, situated on the upper and under surfaces of the body, the former being the thicker of the two. All these become joined, and the bone is completely formed between the 25th and 30th year of life. What the fuck? Isn't that crazy? The bones have never stopped growing. Between the 25th and 30th year of life. Wow. Yeah, I've heard some weird shit, you know? I know there's always myth that, like, every... Your bone is always like resheathing itself, and every eighteen or some or so years, uh, your bones will completely be resheathed, or like it's almost like a new bone. 
don't know if that's true, but it could be because look how bones are always changing. I mean, look at you. You don't even get some parts of cartilage or bone tissue till the 25th or 30th year of your life. So it's crazy. So I can definitely, that's plausible, right? Shout out again to Dale. Let's go. Buy Dale's fucking porcupine traps, okay? You got a porcupine? Fucking buy that shit. Make Dale happy. Send Dale some money and send me a trap. But only porcupines. I don't know why they guys should really branch out, you know? Raccoons, squirrels. But he only sells fucking porcupine traps. Motherfucker. Exceptions to this mode of development occur in the first, second, and seventh cervical and in the vertebrae of the lumbar region. The atlas, the number of centers of ossification of the atlas, is very variable. It may be developed from two, three, four, or five centers. The most frequent arrangement is by three centers. Two of these are destined for the two lateral and neural masses, the ossification of which commences about the seventh week near the articular processes and extend backward. These portions of bone are separated from one end from one another behind at birth. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Jesus. Near their articular processes and extend backward. These portions of bone are separated from one another behind at birth by a narrow interval interval filled in with cartilage. Narrow interval filled in with cartilage. Between the third and fourth years, the unite either they unite either directly or through the medium of a separate center developed in the cartilage in the middle line. The anterior arch at birth is altogether cartilaginous, and in this a separate nucleus appears about the end of the first, first year after birth, and extending laterally joins the neural process in front of the pedicles. Sometimes these are two nuclei developed in, one, developed in the cartilage, one on either side of the median line, which, which join to form a single mass. And occasionally, there is no separate center. But the anterior arch is formed by the gradual extension formed in ultimate junction of the two neural processes. Um, there's some diagrams here. Exceptional cases which show the, uh, the atlas and the axis, just their different growth parts. It's really They just threw this in here. I mean, you can look at it. Um, I don't know what it's trying to prove. But uh, there you go. Um, okay, let's go on. We're talking about the axis now. This is still dorsal vertebrae. Uh, just to keep you updated. The axis is developed by seven centers. The body and arch of this bone are formed in the same manner as the corresponding parts in other vertebrae. One center, or two, which speedily correlates, for the lower part of the body, and one for each lamina. The centers for the laminae appear about the 7th or 8th week, that for the body about the 4th month. The endontoid process consists originally of an extension upward of the cartilage mass in which the lower part of the body is formed. At about the 6th month of fetal life, two osseous nuclei make their appearance in the base of this process. They are placed laterally and joined before birth to form a conical biloped mass deeply cleft above. The interval, the interval between the cleft and the summit of the process is formed by a wedge-shaped piece of cartilage. The base of the process being separated from the body by a, by a cartilaginous interval, which gradually becomes ossified at its circumference, but remains cartilaginous in its center until advanced age. 
Finally, as Humphrey has demonstrated, the apex of the odontoid process is a separate nucleus, which appears in the second year and joins about the twelfth year. So that's crazy. All these bones are joining, blah blah blah, years after they're you know they're formed, which is growth. I mean, it's it's obvious, right? <clears throat> in addition to these, there there is a secondary center for the thin epiphyseal epiphyseal plate on the undersurface of the body of the bone. The seventh the seventh cervical. The anterior or costal part of the transverse process of the seventh cervical is developed from a separate osseous center at about the sixth month of fetal life and joins the body and posterior division of the transverse processes between the fifth and sixth years. Sometimes this process continues as a separate piece, and becoming a lengthened outward constitutes what is known as the cervical rib. The separate ossific center of the costal process has also been found in the fourth, fifth, and sixth vertebrae, cervical vertebrae. The lumbar vertebrae have two additional centers, besides those peculiar to the vertebrae generally, for the mammillary tubercles, which project from the back part of the superior articular processes. The transverse process of the first lumbar is sometimes developed as a separate piece, which may remain permanently unconnected with the remaining portion of the bone, thus forming a lumbar rib, a peculiarity that is rarely met with. Progress of, progress of ossification of the spine generally ossification of the laminae of the vertebrae, commences in the cervical region of the spine and proceeds gradually do- gradually downward. I just burped. Fucking tasted like oil. Mm. Commences a little below the center of the spinal column, about the ninth or 10th dorsal vertebrae, and extends both upward and downward. Although, however, the ossific nuclei make their first appearance in the, in the lower dorsal vertebrae, the lumbar and first sacra are those in which the nuclei are largest at birth. Attachment of muscles. I should really do this. Ah, I want a beer. I should do this drunk or high, right? I'm just kidding. I don't condone drugs or alcohol. Uh, it was just a thought because I know the, the material is a little dry, so maybe me being slightly intoxicated would uh, make it a little wetter, get that shit wet. Since it's so dry. Or not, a lot of people do love dry material. I'm a fan of dry material. I can sit there and listen to lectures. I love it. Um, I mean, this really isn't a lecture. This is more just a reading. But information, it's fine. You know, we're at an hour and 15. Uh, we've got time. we got we got a while. I'm on page 45. We're going to get into a lot more in-depth, more interesting parts of the spine, so... Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's do this. Progress of ossification of the spine generally. Ossification of the laminae of the vertebrae commences in the cervical region of the spine and proceeds gradually downward. Ossification of these bodies, on the other hand, commences a little below the center of the spinal column, about the ninth or tenth dorsal vertebrae, and extends both upward and downward. Oh, I think I read all this, right? Yes. Attachment of muscles. To the atlas are attached nine pairs. The longest colli. Rectus capitus anticus minor, rectus lateralis, obliquus capitus superior and inferior, splenius coli, levator anguli scapulae, first intertransverse, and the rectus capitus posticus minor. That's all Latin, right? To the axis are attached 11 pairs. The longest coli, levator anguli scapulae, splenius coli, scalenus scalenus. Galenus medius transverlus coli, 
intertransversalis obliquus capitis inferior. What the fuck? Rectus capitus posticus major, semis spinalis cale, multivitus spinae interspinalis. I'm definitely speaking a different language, and I, have, I don't have any idea what the fuck it means. On a side note, you guys hear that Tiger Woods just got fucking uh, canned? I don't know, he was drinking and driving. His mugshot is absolutely fucking phenomenal. You gotta look it up. What a guy. What a guy. Living the life. Alright, back to the material. To the remaining vertebrae, generally, are attached 35 pairs and a single muscle. Anteriorly, the rectus capitis anticus, anticus major, longus coli, scalenus anticus medius and posticus, psoas magnus and parfus, quadratus lumbarum, diaphragm obliquus abdominis internus, and transversalis abdominis posteriorly, the trapezius, the trapezius, latis, latissimus dorsi, levator angular scapulae, rhomboideus major and minor, serratuses posticus superior and inferior, spalinus erector spinae, iliocostalis, lingissimus dorsi, spinalis dorsi, cervicalis ascendens, transversus, transversus, transva blah 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 blah. I this is all Latin. They're just listing. The remaining vertebrae, vertebrae, who really cares? It's just all in Latin. I really don't know it. So we're going to skip it, and we're going to go to sacral and coxygeal vertebrae. So these are your lower, your most low, most lowest, whatever, vertebrae. Um, the sacral and coxygeal vertebrae consist, at an earlier period of life, of nine separate pieces, which are united in the adult so as to form two bones, Five entering into the formation of the sacrum, four into that of coccyx. Occasionally, the coccyx consists of five bones. I'm pretty sure it's coccyx, but if it's coccyx, fuck it, I don't care. You know, it's whatever. Coccyx, coccyx, whatever, right? Um, the sacrum is a large triangular bone situated at the lower part of the vertebral column and at the upper and back part of the pelvic cavity where it is inserted like a wedge between the two innominate bones, its upper part or base articulating with the last lumbar vertebrae, its apex with the coccyx. The sacrum is curved upon itself and placed very obliquely, its upper extremity project, projecting forward and forming with the last lumbar vertebrae a very prominent angle called the promontory or sacral vertebral, vertebral angle whilst its central part is directed backward, so as to give increased capacity to the pelvic cavity. It presents, for examination, an anterior and posterior surface, two lateral surfaces, a base, an apex, and a central canal. The anterior surface is concave from above downward, and slightly so, for, and slightly so from side to side. In the middle are seen four transverse ridges, indicating the original division of the bone into five separate pieces. The portions of bone inter intervening between the ridges correspond to the bodies of the vertebrae. The body of the first segment is of large size, and in form resembles that of a lumbar vertebrae. The succeeding ones diminish in size from above downward, are flattened from before backward, and curved so as to accommodate themselves to form the form of the sacrum. 
being concave in front, convex behind. At each end of the ridges above mentioned are seen the anterior sacral foramina, for, for, foramina, I don't know, analogous to the invertebral foramina, four in number on each side, somewhat rounded in form, diminishing the size from above downward, and directed outward and forward. They transmit the anterior branches of the sacral ner nerves and the lateral sacral arteries. This is what we're looking at right yeah, Right yeah. As you can see, all the foramen and whatnot, and all the, those are the holes where uh, all the nutrient vessels, or whatever the hell they're called, can go through, I'm assuming. This is the uh, sacrum, and its anterior surface. Now, I really, I really forgot the uh, all the anatomical like positions a bone can be in. I know it's like, you know, obvious like the superior, the posterior, but like with the anterior, I know there's like different sides you can view it. So I'm once again, I'm really bad at describing these pictures, but we're like we're looking at the anterior surface of the sacrum. Um. So really, I I should do some research and just try to get all the anatomical positions down so I can describe them better. Because I mean, I mean the book. I mean this book that does a phenomenal job describing. So I hope you're getting the best description. But uh, I wish I could do more. But let's do some research though. Okay. Um, external to these foramina, foramina, foramina. I don't know how to say it. Is the lateral mass consisting at an early period of life of separate segments? These become blended in the adult with the bodies with each other and with the posterior transverse processes. Each lateral mass is trans transverse, traversed by four broad shallow grooves which lodge the anterior sacral nerves as they pass outward. The grooves being separated by, by prominent ridges of bone which give attachment to the slips of the piriformis muscle? Piriformis? P-Y-R-I-F-O-R-I-F-O-M-M-I-S? What? P-Y-R-I-F-O-R-M-I-S, muscle. Periphermis, periphermis, muscle. If a vertical section is made through the center of the sacrum, the bodies are seen to be united at their circumference by bone, a wide interval being left centrally, which in the recent state is filled by intervertebral substance. Ooh, spinal fluid? Found a lot of bad shit in my spinal fluid, I'll tell you that. Well, so that's a myth. But I don't know. I know they do spinal taps to do like acid tests. Yeah, could you find LSD in your spinal fluid? Email me. Let me know. Some, in some bones, this union is more complete between the lower segments than between the upper bones. The posterior surface is convex and much narrower than the anterior. In the middle line are three or four tubercles, which represent the rudimentary spinous processes of the sacral vertebrae. Of these turbicles, the first is usually prominent and perfectly, and perfectly distinct from the rest. The second and third are either separate or united into a tubercular, tubercular ridge, which diminishes in size from above downward. The fourth usually, and the fifth always, remaining undeveloped. External to the spinous processes on each side are the laminae, broad and well marked in the first three pieces. Sometimes the fourth and generally the fifth are only partially developed and fail to meet in the middle line. These partially developed laminae are prolonged downward as rounded processes. The sacral cornea, cornua, 
and are connected to the cornua of the coccyx, coccyx, coccyx. Between them, the bony wall of the lower end of the sacral canal is imperfect and is liable to be opened in the, the sloving of bed sores. External, is to the laminae, is, external to the laminae is a linear series of indistinct tubercles representing the articular processes. The upper pair are large, well-developed, and correspond in shape and direction to the superior articulating processes of a lumbar vertebrae. The second and third are small, the fourth and fifth, usually blended together, are situated on each side of the sacral canal and assist in forming the uh, sacral cornula. External to the articular processes are the four post posterior sacral foramina. They are small in size and less regular in form than the anterior, and transmit the posterior branches of the sacral nerves. On the outer side of the posterior sacral foramina is a series of tubercles, the rudimentary transverse processes of the sacral vertebrae. The first pair of transverse tubercles are very large, distinct, and correspond with each superior angle of the bone. They, together with the second pair, which are, are of small size, give attachment to the horizontal part of the sacro, sacro, sacroiliac, sacroiliac, sacroiliac ligament. The third give attachment to the oblique fasciculi of the posterior sacroiliac ligaments. Fasciculi, whatever it was. Um, and the fourth of which the greatest sacrosciatic ligaments. The interspace between the spinous and transverse processes in the back of the sacrum presents a wide, shallow cavity called the sacral groove. It is continuous above with the vertebral groove and lodges, and lodges the origin of the multifidus spinae. So here's the vertical section of the sacrum. Right there. Right there. You can see that large groove that they've been talking about. Very interesting, very interesting. It kind of looks like a, uh, like a, what is it, what are those things called? Like a horn, no. What is the, what is the, the, the symbol for Thanksgiving? A uh, cornucopia, that's what it kind of looks like, vertically. Kind of looks like a cornucopia. Um, what, another weird thing about the cornucopia, isn't that a pagan symbol that uh, represents... The, the female look that up someone email me tell me what the fuck the cornucopia means but I definitely think is it cornucopia whatever what, the thing that holds all the fruit during Thanksgiving that thing is definitely a pagan symbol that represents something and has been passed down for generations I don't know whatever but that's what it looks like um, the lateral, lateral surface, broad above, becomes narrowed into a thin edge below. Its upper half presents in front a broad ear-shaped surface for articulation with the ilium. This is called the auricular surface, and in the fresh state is coated with fibrocartilage. It is bounded posteriorly by deep and uneven impressions for the attachment of the posterior sacroiliac ligaments. The lower half is thin and sharp, and terminates in a projection called the inferior lateral angle. Below this angle is a notch, which is converted into a foramen by articulation with the transverse process of the upper piece of the coccyx, and transmits the anterior division of the fifth sacral nerve. This lower, sharper border gives attachment to the greater and lesser sacrosciatic ligaments and to some fibers of the gluteus maximus posteriorly and to the coccygeal coccygeus in front. So yeah, of course the coccygeal is at the bottom, so it's definitely going to interact with the gluteus maximus muscles, which is pretty fucking obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
The base of the sacrum, which is broad and expanded. Oh, yeah. Gluteus maximus means butt. It means your fucking butt, dude. All right. Got that? Amazing. Base of the sacrum, which is broad and expanded, is directed upward and forward. Sorry for the shaking. This desk sucks. For those who are watching. Um... In the middle is seen a large oval articular surface which is connected with the undersurface of the body of the last lumbar vertebrae by a fibrocartilaginous disc. It is bound, bounded behind by the large triangular orifice of the sacral canal. The orifice is formed behind by the laminae and spinous processes of the first sacral vertebrae. The superior articular processes project from, its, from it on each side. They are oval, concave, directed backward and inward, like the superior articular processes of a lumbar vertebrae, and in front of each articular process is an interior intervertebral notch, which forms the lower part of the foreman between the last lumbar and first sacral vertebrae. Lastly, on each side of the large oval articular plate is a broad and flat triangle, triangular surface of bone, which extends outward, supports the psoas magnus muscle and lumbar sacral cord, and is continuous on each side with the iliac fossa. Okay, so we're looking at a posterior surface of the sacrum, 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 whatever, as you can see. Very nice. Very bony. Lots of parts. Um, yeah, it's quite the bone. No wonder, you know, your backbone or your butt bone, whatever the fuck it's called in layman terms, is so tough. Look at that big, thick-ass piece of muscle. Jeez, not muscle, bone. Jesus. Um, but yeah, that's, it's a, uh, the sacrum, the posterior surface. Um, uh, okay, this is called the ala of the sacrum and gives attachment to a few of the fibers of the iliacus muscle. The posterior part of the ala, A-L-A, ala, ala, I don't know, represents the transverse process of the first sacral segment. The apex Directed downward and slightly forward presents a small oval concave surface for articulation with the coccyx. The spinal cord runs throughout the greater part of the bone. The spinal canal. My bad. I don't like saying my bad. I'm a sorry, bitch. Uh, runs throughout the greater part of the bone. It is large and triangular in form above, small and flattened. From before, backward, below. In this situation, its posterior wall is incomplete. From the non-development of the laminae or spinous processes, laminate and spinous processes. It lodges the sacral nerves and is perforated by the anterior and posterior sacral foramina through which these pass out. Structure. It consists of much loose spongy tissue within, invested externally by a thin layer of compact tissue. Differences in the sacrum of the male and female, which are, I know a little bit, I know that they're like, I'm assuming that they're wider for childbirth maybe, male, female, whatever. The sacrum in the female is shorter and wider than in the male. Okay, it is. The lower half forms a greater angle with the upper, the upper half of the bone being nearly straight, the lower half presenting the greatest amount of curvature. The bone is also directed more obliquely backward, which increases the size of the pelvic cavity, childbirth, right? By the sacral vertebral angle, it projects less. In the male, the curvature is more evenly distributed over the whole length of the bone and is altogether greater than in the female. Interesting. Peculiar peculiarities of the sacrum. This bone, in some cases, consists of six pieces. Occasionally, the number is reduced to four. What the fuck? Sometimes the bodies of the first and second segments are not joined to the laminae and spinous processes and not 
correlaced. Occasionally, the upper pair of transverse tubercles are not joined to the rest of the bone on one or both sides. And lastly, the sacral canal may be open for nearly the lower half of the bone in consequence of the imperfect development of the laminae and spinous processes. The sacrum also varies consider considerably with respect to its degree of curvature. From the examination of a large number of skeletons, it would appear that in one set of cases, the anterior surface of this bone was nearly straight, the curvature which was very slight, affecting only its lower end. In another set of cases, the bone was curved through its whole length, but especially toward its middle. In a third set, the degree of curvature was less marked and affected especially the lower third of the bone. Development. The sacrum formed by the union of five vertebrae has 35 centers of ossification. Wow, that's a lot. Bodies of the sacral vertebrae have each three ossific centers. One for the central part and one for the epiphyseal plates on its upper and under surface. Occasionally, the primary centers for the bodies of the first and second piece of the sacrum are doubled. The arch of each sacral vertebrae is developed by two centers, one for each lamina. These unite with each other behind and, subs and subsequently join the body. The lateral masses have six additional centers, two for each of the first three vertebrae. These centers make their appearance above and the, out the other outer side of the anterior sacral foramina and are developed into separate segments. So right now we're looking at a figure of the... I just dropped my fucking book. See, this book is so heavy and thick. If I dropped this on my foot, I'd, I'd, I'd fucking break my foot. Look how thick that is. But here is the development of the sacrum. It's uh, pictures from at birth, at four and a half years, and at 25th year. So there's definitely a lot of growth um, in this bone. Look at that. Oops, let me move that for you. Can you see that? So I don't know if that's in the male or the female, but... Uh, it's obviously growing. So yeah, fuck, I mean, let's just say this isn't a female. I mean, bitches are 16 and pregnant. Like, goddamn, your sacrum's so tight. Imagine childbirth. Oh my God, Jesus Christ. So tell my girl, listen, I'm, I'm pulling out till I fucking you're 25. I don't want to cause you pain. Jesus Christ. My pull-up game is pretty good. I don't have any children. Yeah, I'm only 19, though. I got a lot of time here. Um, lastly, each lateral surface of the sacrum is developed by two epiphyseal plates, one for the auricular surface and one for the remaining part of the thin lateral edge of the bone. Period of development. At about the eighth or ninth week of fetal life, ossification of the central part of the bodies of the first three vertebrae commences, and at a somewhat later period that of the last two. Between the sixth and eighth months, ossification of the laminae takes place, and at about the same period, the centers for the lateral masses for the first three sacral vertebrae makes their appearance. The period at which the arch becomes completed by the junction of the laminae with the bodies in front and with each other behind varies in different segments. The junction between the laminae and the bodies takes place first in the lower vertebrae as early as the second year, but is, but it, but is not affected in the uppermost until the fifth or sixth year. About the sixteenth year, the epiphysis of the upper and under surfaces of the bodies are formed, and between the eighteenth and twentieth years, those for each lateral surface of the sacrum make their appearance. The bodies of the sacral vertebrae are during, each, during early life, separated from each other by intervertebral discs. But about the 18th year, the two lower segments become joined together by ossification extending through the disc. 
This process gradually extends upward until all the segments become united, and the bone is completely formed from the 25th to the 30th year of life. Amazing. There's going to be some noise real quick. Sorry about that. Um, on to articulations. The four bones, the last lumbar vertebrae, coccyx, and the two inanimate bones? Inanimate bones? Okay, whatever. Uh, attachment of muscles. To eight pairs in front, the piriformis and coccygeus, and a portion of the ilicus, the base of the bone, behind the gluteus maximus, your ass. Latissimus dorsi, multifidus spinae, and erector spinae, and sometimes the extensor coccygeus. Oh, wow. Telling you, that's more, uh, more Latin that I do not know that I am so sorry for butchering, but I definitely butchered that. Um, looks like we're about an hour and 36 minutes here. Yeah, it's not bad. Not bad. I'm on the road. I'm on the road. I'm on the road to the to the knowledge of the anatomy of the human body. It's, but uh, okay, let's attachment of muscles real quick. To eight pairs in front. Oh, we said that. We said that. Okay. All right. Now onto the coccyx. I think I'm gonna do the coccyx and then uh, I'll be done for the first episode because. After the coccyx is the skull, and then we can totally take the skull into the next episode. But let's just finish the coccyx, because then that'll finish the spine in general. So you'll, I hope you'll have a good understanding of the spine, maybe, thanks to my reading. I know it's a little shitty, but I'm uh, here to help. Let's, let's, let's start, though. The coccyx, so-called from having been compared to a cuckoo's a, a, a cuckoo's beak is usually formed of four, of four small segments of bone. So that's crazy. Doctors seriously named a part of the human body after a fucking a, a cockatoo. Whatever the fuck that animal is, is their beak. It's hilarious. But it's great. The most rudimentary parts of the vertebrae, uh, formed of small, four small segments of bone, the most rudimentary parts of the vertebral column. And each of the first three segments may be traced to rudimentary body, articular and transverse processes. The last piece, sometimes the third, is a mere nodule of bone without distinct processes. Is this look at, here's some, here's some pictures of the cockies. Does that look like a beak to you? I don't see it. I don't see it. Um, yeah, folks who are listening, it does not look like a beak. But uh, that's where it came from, right? In each of the first three segments, be may be traced a rudimentary body, articular and transverse processes. The last piece, sometimes the third, is a mere nodule of bone without distinct processes. All the segments are just destitute of pedicles, laminate, and spinous processes, and consequently of intervertebral formina and spinal canal. The first segment is the largest. It resembles the lowermost sacral vertebrae and often exists as a separate piece. The last three, diminishing and size from above downward are usually blended together so as to form a single bone. The gradual diminution, 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 I don't know how to fucking say this word. I owe it diminutive and diminution, 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 whatever. The gradual diminution in the size of the pieces gives the bone a triangular form. 
The base of the triangle joining the end of the sacrum it presents for examination an interior and posterior surface, two borders, a base, and an apex. The anterior surface is slightly concave and marked with three transverse grooves, indicating the points of junction of the different pieces. It has attached to it the anterior sacrococcygeal ligament and levator ani muscle and supports the lower end of the rectum. Cool. The posterior surface is con convex, marked by transverse grooves similarly to those on the anterior surface. It presents on each side a lineal row of tubercles, the rudimentary articular processes of the coccygeal, coccygeal vertebrae. Of these, the superior pair are large and are called the cornua of the coccyx. They project upward and articulate with two with the cornua of the sacrum. Cornua of the sacrum, sacrum, whatever. I'm sorry, folks, again, for the fucking 50th time. The junction between these two bones completing the fifth posterior sacral foramen for the transmission of the posterior division of the fifth sacral nerve, the lateral borders are thin and present a, present a terior division of the fifth sacral nerve. The lateral borders are thin and present a small series of eminences, which represent the transverse processes of the coccygeal vertebrae. Of these, the first on each side is the largest, flattened from before backward, and often ascends to join the lower part of the thin lateral edge of the sacrum, thus completing the fifth anterior sacral foramen for the transmission of the anterior division of the sacral nerve, of the fifth sacral nerve. The others diminish in size from above downward and are, and are often wanting. The borders of the coccyx are narrow and give attachment on each side to the sacral sciatic ligaments, to the coccygeus muscles in front of the ligaments, and to the gluteus maximus behind them. The base prevents an oval surface for articulation with the sacrum. The apex is rounded and is attached with the tendon of the external sphincter muscle. It occasionally bifid and sometimes deflected to one or the other side. Development. The coccyx is developed by four centers, one for each piece. Occasionally, one of the first three pieces of the bone is developed by two centers, placed side by side. The ossific nuclei make their appearance in the following order. In the first segment, shortly after birth, in the second piece set from 5 to 10 years, in the third from 10 to 15 years, in the fourth from 50 to 20 years, 15 to 20 years, as age advances, these various segments become united with each other from below upward, the union between the first and second segments being frequently delayed into the, until after the age of 25 or 30. At a late period of life, especially in females, the coccyx often becomes joined to the end of the sacrum. Articulation equals with the sacrum. Attachment of muscles to four pairs in one single muscle on either side the coccygeus behind the gluteus maximus and extensor coccygeus. When present at the apex, the sphincter ani in front, the levator, levator ani. I think that was a quick summary of just articulation attachment of the muscles. Um, yeah, this goes um, quickly into the spine in general. This will be the last part of this episode, and we'll. Uh, continue later but the spine in general um, the spinal column formed by the junction of the vertebrae is situated in the median line at the posterior part of the trunk trunk as in body its average length is about two feet to two feet two or three inches measuring along the curved anterior surface of the column of this length the cervical part measures about five the dorsal about 11 the lumbar about seven inches and the sacrum and coccyx the remainder the female spine is about one inch less than that of the male. Viewed in front, it presents two pyramids joined together at their bases. 
the upper one being formed by all the vertebrae from the second cervical to the last lumbar, the lower one by the sacroanchocex. When examined more closely, the upper pyramid is seen to be formed of three smaller pyramids. The uppermost of these consists of the six lower cervical vertebrae, its apex being formed by the axis or second cervical, its base by the first dorsal. The second pyramid, which is inverted, is formed by the fourth upper, upper dorsal vertebrae, the base being at the first dorsal, the smaller end at the fourth. The third pyramid commences at the fourth dorsal and gradually increases its in size to the fifth lumbar. Viewed laterally, the spinal column presents several curves, which correspond to the different regions of the column, and are cervical, dorsal, lumbar, and pelvic. The cervical curve commences at the apex of the endontoid process and terminates at the middle of the second dorsal vertebrae. It is convex at front and the least marked of all the curves. The dorsal curve, which is concave forward, commences at the middle of the second and terminates at the middle of the twelfth dorsal. Its most prominent point behind corresponds to the spine of the seventh dorsal vertebrae. The lumbar curve commences at the middle of the last dorsal vertebrae and terminates at the sacral vertebral angle. It is convex anteriorly, the convexity of the lower three vertebrae, vertebrae being much greater than that of the upper two. The pelvic curve commences at the sacro-vertebral articulation and terminates at the point of the coccyx. It is concave, uh, it is concave anteriorly, concave anteriorly. The dorsal and pelvic curves are the primary curves and begin to be formed at an early period of fetal life and are due to the shape of the bodies of the vertebrae. The cervical and lumbar curves are compensatory or secondary and are developed after birth in order to maintain the erect position. They are due mainly to the shape of the intervertebral discs. The spine is also a slight lateral curvature, the convexity at which is directed toward this right, the right side. This is most probably produced, as Bicot first explained, chiefly by muscular action, most persons using the right arm in preference to the left, especially in making large continued efforts when the body is curved to the right, right side. In support of this explanation, it has been found by Beclar that in one or two individuals who were left-handed, the latter's curvature was directed to the left side. Wow, interesting. So they're saying that uh, it may not be a genetic or, I mean, it could be genetic. But I'm saying, like, I always thought that maybe you being left or right-handed was something to do with, you know, the brain and how it's wired. But according to this doctor it is uh, the curvature of your spine. So if it's more curved to the right, you're gonna be more right-handed, curved to the left, you're gonna be left-handed. Interesting as fuck. The spine is also a, has also a slight lateral curvature, the convexity of which is directed toward the right side. Oh, we fucking read that. All right, the movable part of the spinal column presents for examination an interior, a posterior, and two lateral surfaces, a base, a summit, and a spinal canal. The anterior surface presents the bodies of the vertebrae separated in the recent state by the intervertebral discs. The bodies are broad in the cervical region, narrow in the upper part of the dorsal, and broadcast and broadest in the lumbar region. The whole of the surface is convex transversely, concave from above downward in the dorsal region, and convex in the same direction in the cervical and lumbar regions. The posterior surface presents in the median line the spinous processes. These are short horizontal with bifid extremities. In the cervical region, in the dorsal region, they are directed obliquely above, assume almost a vertical direction in the middle, and are horizontal below. As also the spines of the lumbar vertebrae, they are separated by considerable intervals, intervals in the loins, by narrow intervals in the neck, and are closely approximated in the middle of the dorsal region. Occasionally, one of these processes de deviates a little from the median line, 
a fact to be remembered in practice as irregularities of this sort are attended also on fractures or displacements of the spine. On either side of the spinous processes, fractures uh, extending the, length, the whole length of the column is the vertebral groove formed by the laminae in the cervical and lumbar regions where it is shallow and by the laminae and transverse processes in the dorsal region where it is deep and broad. In the recent state, these grooves lodge, at the, lodge the deep muscles of the back. External to the vertebral grooves are the articular processes and still more externally the transverse processes. In the dorsal region, the latter process, processes stand backward, on a plane considerably posterior to the same process in the cervical and lumbar regions. In the cervical region, the transverse processes are placed in front of the articular processes and on the outer side of the pedicles between the intervertebral foramina. In the dorsal region, they are posterior, posterior, to, the pedicles, inter, posterior to the pedicles, intervertebral foramina, and articular processes. In the lumbar, they are placed also in front of the articular processes, but behind the intervertebral foramina. The lateral surfaces are separated from the posterior by the articular processes in the cervical and lumbar regions, and by the transverse processes, processes in the dorsal. These surfaces present in front, in front the sides of the bodies of the vertebrae, marked in the dorsal region by the facets for articulation with the heads of the ribs. Most most more posteriorly are the intervertebral foramina, formed by the juxtaposition of the intervertebral notches, intervertebral notches, oval in shape, smallest in the cervical and upper part of the dorsal regions, and gradually increasing in size to the last lumbar. They are situated between the transverse processes in the back and in front of them in the neck and loins, and transmit the spinal, spinal nerves. The base of that portion of the vertebral column formed by the 24 movable vertebrae is formed by the undersurface of the body of the 5th lumbar vertebrae and the summit by the upper surface of the atlas. The vertebral spinal canal follows the different curvatures of the spine. It is the largest in those regions in which the spine enjoys the greatest freedom of movement, as in the neck and loins where it is wide and triangular and, the, and narrow and rounded in the back where motion is more limited. So, uh, yes. That is, in general, in not layman's terms, the spine. Spine in general. It's a quick picture. Everyone's seen a goddamn spine. You all have one. I mean, there it is. That's the spine in general. But yeah, folks. Um, that part wraps up the vertebrae and the spine in general. Um... Next episode, we are going to be reading and learning about the skull and all the bones that uh, encompass that. Anyways, I thank you for watching and I thank you for listening. Please email me. Give me some tips. Give me some information. Or just send me some cool shit. Emails in the description on the podcast and on YouTube. And please check me out. I'm going to be uploading these on iTunes. Um, and I'm going to be uploading videos on YouTube. I really don't have a plan right now. I'm just winging it. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm trying to do an episode a day. But if not, eh, it's all right. My goal is to finish this large-ass fucking book. This 1,200 motherfuck pain in my ass by this summer and hopefully I'll learn some shit and hopefully you'll learn some shit um but I'm Jacob Damien
thank you and see you again.